Good morning. This morning we are reading from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. I did not plan on this passage for Mother's Day. It just worked out that way. And I'm so grateful, because if you're following in Ephesians and you look at the passage before it, and the passage after it, man, I really dodged a couple of bullets. <laughs> I really did. And, and so I, I just get to preach. I get to do moms a favor today on Mother's Day. Really, I, I guess I get to do all parents a favor today preaching on this passage, and, and, and it's, it's really just my joy and delight uh, to preach in the spirit of Proverbs chapter 1 that says, hear my son your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. So kids, you know, young people, there's a few of you in the room, they're not all back in Sunday school, some of the older ones are here, listen up today, all right, or the, the next few months may not go so well for you. Actually, parents, we, we should pay attention too, you know, because if we don't take these things seriously, the next few decades of our lives could leave us feeling lonely and sad, you know, seriously, if, if we don't pay close attention to what Paul says to the Ephesians here. And so naturally, Paul has been working through what, what scholars call the household codes of the New Testament. Uh, and, and these are practical ways as families, as households, for us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We've talked about this is what everyone in a church is doing. In a healthy church, we all submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But Paul gets specific about that in different areas of life, especially in our marriages and here in our homes. Have you noticed uh, whether you've traveled or lived in other places or you've heard stories from people who have lived in other cultures that traditional societies, right, throughout the world, traditional societies will tend to downplay the value of children in order to protect and honor those who are older, parents and elders, uh, almost to the point where a child is just assumed to be wrong or guilty if ever there is a problem with an adult, right? It's just the child's younger, it's a child, they're wrong, they're guilty uh, in the name of honoring the parent or the elder. On the other hand, our culture, it, it almost despises authority, right? Uh, to, to the point where uh, the elderly are devalued in order to basically idolize youth. So that, quite literally, uh, children are permitted, legally permitted in our society to make massive decisions about their physical and mental well-being apart from the oversight and guidance and even knowledge, in some cases, of their parents and responsible adults in their lives. You see, the opposite, uh, the, the opposite tendencies in different types of societies. And families are like that, too. Families each have its, uh, their own culture and style with children, right? Some families practically ignore children until they're old enough to work or contribute in some practical way. On the other hand, some families coddle their children obsessively. 
And it seems like the entire family, the entire universe revolves around their children. But Christianity comes along, and as a faith, it addresses the human condition in family language. You learn about a father's only begotten son and how a father loses his one and only son. You learn about a prodigal son who returns home after coming to his senses and is embraced in forgiveness and reconciliation by a parent who loves him. You learn about brothers and sisters in Christ. You see this type of family language all over the scriptures, especially in the New Testament. You see, early Christianity gave dignity and protection to everyone in a household. In an ancient world where that was not the assumption, where that was not the privilege. And today we're going to see from Ephesians chapter 6, the first four verses, that a family filled with grace is a home where everyone flourishes. We're talking about how the grace of God starts with us and extends out, emanates out into our congregation and into our communities. Uh, That's what the book of Ephesians is about. And we've talked about grace-filled sexuality. We've talked about grace-filled marriage. We're going to talk about grace-filled family. A family that is filled with the grace of God is a place where everyone in the home is allowed to flourish. Whether or not they choose to is another story. But a grace-filled family provides a healthy space for every member of the household to flourish. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Children and parents and households that flourish. Those three ideas. Okay, kids, listen up. Children who flourish, are you ready for it? Children who flourish obey their parents. We are not going to be able to wiggle our ways out of this. Chapter 6, verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And by adding the phrase, in the Lord, you notice how Paul did that? Obey your parents in the Lord, Paul is addressing Christian homes. Christian children obey their parents, and when they grow up to be adults, they still respect and honor their parents as much as possible. Now, if you think, well, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not a Christian, so I don't have to obey my parents. Well, good luck with that. If you don't believe what the Bible says and you think this doesn't apply to you and you don't have to obey your parents, good luck with that. Because Paul adds a reason for obedience. What does he say? For this is right. That's all he says. Obey your parents, for this is right. He doesn't appeal to morality. He doesn't even appeal to the Bible yet. But just a basic common sense, right? He just says, obey your parents because this is right. This is the normal thing to do. Everyone in every place throughout history knows this universally. Kids, ask your history teacher if any civilization ever lasted long where this were not the case, where children were not expected to respect and honor their elders, and their parents. But Paul goes further, because the Bible did have something to say about it, actually. You remember the Ten Commandments? And that's why he quotes the Fifth Commandment. Honor your father 
and mother. And he says, this is the first commandment with a promise. And then he quotes the rest of the commandment, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Paul is saying there's something unique about the fifth commandment because he connects it to how you end up doing, how you turn out as a human being in the world. Why would he say that the fifth commandment, specifically the fifth commandment comes with a promise? Because respecting authority, most of the time, keeps you out of trouble. It, it is that simple. It is, that is why it's just this common sense, hey, obey your parents because this is right. It keeps you out of trouble. Obeying authority in general, obeying the police, obeying your parents, obeying and listening to your teachers in general sets you up well for having a good life. It's not a guarantee. But if you follow this, you're really set, you're giving yourself a fighting chance to make something of your life. You're not making things hard on yourself by disrespecting those that God has placed in authority in your life. So kids, I want to ask you a very direct question. Why give your parents a reason to punish you? Why give them a reason to punish you? Look, your parents aren't perfect. I, I've got six kids. I mess up all the time. I have to apologize to my kids quite regularly. Ask them. Most, I think they're all, most of them are here today. But why give your parents a reason to discipline you or punish you? I mean, your parents have a hard job ahead of them. They've got to take care of you and nurture you until you're adults and you're ready to go out into the world. So why make that really hard on them by giving them a reason to discipline you, you know? But I think you're going to anyway. Doesn't matter what I say, you're going to give your parents reasons to punish you because you are fools. I, now listen to me, don't, don't check out yet. I want, hold on, I'm not telling you that you are fools. The Bible literally tells you that you are fools. There's a word in the Old Testament that you see throughout the book of Proverbs called, well, what we call a fool. And the Old Testament, the ancient Jews, they realized that a fool was a person who had not yet developed wisdom. That's all it meant. A fool was somebody who was still young or ignorant and hadn't lived enough of life or paid attention long enough to develop wisdom, all right? So, so it's okay. You're not supposed to have wisdom yet. You're too young. You haven't lived long enough. That's okay. That's why God gave you parents. And so listen to Proverbs chapter 3 going into Proverbs chapter 4, and you see what I'm talking about. The wise will inherit honor. Now listen to this. But fools get disgrace. And you say, well, what does that have to do with kids? Hold on. Look what it says. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. The opposite of having wisdom is being foolish. And you have to grow up and pay attention to acquire wisdom in this world. So it's a good parent's job to show you that you don't have wisdom yet. They're not loving you well if they don't help you see that you don't have wisdom yet, but they do. So kids, I want you to take heart and be encouraged. You won't be fools forever. 
but get used to it for a few years. Okay, kids, take a deep breath. Throw what you want at me. We have some tomatoes in the back. Take a deep breath. I want to talk to your parents. Parents who flourish, understand how to parent with grace. Parents who flourish understand the nuance of being gracious in their relationships in the home. Fathers, verse 4. He picks on fathers because in that society, the father really was the only one with legal rights in the Greco-Roman society. But it applies to moms and dads. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Let me just stop right there. The word for anger... Actually, the entire phrase in the original language when Paul wrote it, it meant something like this, don't stir your children up into wrath. The word for anger is actually wrath. I want you to think of Greek mythology and the gods. I want you to think of the wrath of the Greek gods. I want you to think of Poseidon, for example. He's this unpredictable guy with a volatile temper Whenever human beings didn't give him what he want, what would he do? Enormous tempests at sea and quakes on land. Right? And so that concept of, hey, let's not upset the gods. Let's not whip the gods up into wrath because that won't be good for us. It's the same word. And in a sense, it's that kind of wrath, that volatile, unpredictable anger that messes everything up It's that kind of wrath that Paul has encouraged parents, encouraging parents to calm in their children and even to prevent in their children. Not in fear of it. Don't misunderstand Paul. He's not saying that parents should be afraid of the wrath of their children as if parents should not parent, as if parents should not discipline, as if parents should not hold their children accountable with wisdom. Of course he's not saying that, but rather he's addressing our parenting tone. He's addressing our demeanor with our children. He's addressing our demeanor in our home. Every parent should know when they've gone too far. You know what I'm talking about, right? You, you do something or you say something and you immediately know your conscience up, I just went too far. I'm right, they're wrong, but in my rightness, I went too far. Every parent should be aware of when they have crossed that line, whether it's by nagging a child or by manipulating her or by threatening him or really just by smothering them with one rule after another. Provoking a child to anger is really pushing a child beyond what the child can bear. And every child is different, right? You may have to apply wisdom differently with every single one of your kids if you have more than one, but provoking a child to anger is pushing a child beyond what they can bear. And what that really does is it denies the child what a child should expect from a parent. Stability, consistency, and safety. You notice I didn't say love? It's really not ultimately whether your kids think you love them or not. They will know you love them if they know you are providing them with stability and consistency and safety. It doesn't matter how many times you tell them you love them. It doesn't matter how many gifts you give them. They will know they are not loved if they are not in a stable, consistent, and safe environment. Parenting in grace is not about controlling a child. 
Parenting in grace is about controlling yourself. Controlling ourselves as parents actually liberates us to parent with grace, with the kind of grace that God has already shown to us. And so he goes on in verse 4 to give the altar. He says, don't, don't provoke your, don't stir your children, don't stoke your children up into wrath, but instead what? Bring them up. And the word is to nourish. It's the same word he used at the end of chapter 5 for how husbands should care for their wives, how men should nourish their wives. Well, he's saying that parents should nourish their children. Nourish their children, how? In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You see that? You see, our primary function as parents who are Christians is not to mold our children into our own image, but to mold them into the image of Jesus. We're created in the image of God. Now, it's very true that in a sinful world, kids grow up in the image of their parents. But for the Christian, you have the freedom and the opportunity to parent in grace. You can say, I want my child to grow up in my image or in the image that I have for her, for him, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to resist that temptation and regularly ask God to help me raise this human being up in his own image. And so that's really our goal as Christians who are also parents and maybe grandparents or guardians or caregivers, if you find yourself with the responsibility of raising up a young person, is not to raise them up in your own image, but to raise them up in God's image, whatever he has in store for them. Otherwise, you're gonna be frustrated, your kid's gonna be frustrated, because they're not fulfilling your law. And they know they're not. They're, they know they're not. That's, that's a kid who has been provoked to anger. That's a kid who is justified for feeling angry. Because their parent is less interested in them becoming who God has created them to be. And more interested in fulfilling the law of the parent. And so you're frustrated and your kid's frustrated that's really not what we're supposed to do as parents, Paul says. I asked your kids a question. Let me ask you a question. Why give your kids a reason to dislike you? They're going to, they're, it's like the, they're going to dislike you from time to time. They're kids. It's their job. But why give them a reason to dislike you? Other than the fact that they're born sinners. Other than the fact that they have not acquired wisdom yet. Why give them a reason, a justified reason to dislike you? You know, if you have a little volatile, unpredictable Poseidon on your hands, is the kid just being a kid? Is the teenager just being an adolescent? What if it's more than that? What if you're part of the problem? Every parent has to pray the prayer of Psalm 131. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me. We have to detoxify ourselves from the family dysfunction of our own past. We have, you know, <laughs> we, we used to, when, when, 
when my parents lived in New York, we raised most of our kids in Maryland without family around us. And you know, when my older kids were younger and they would go up to New York for a week and they'd come back, Becky and I would brace ourselves for what we called grandparent detox. You know, like, love, love the grandparents, you know, take care of them, right? But they, they come back and it's like, no, you can't watch TV all day. No, you can't have candy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. No, you can't manipulate me, right? It, it, we called it grandparent detox, right? And, and, and so in a sense, we, <laughs> I love grandparents, especially mine. Um, but, but we all have to, de- so I, I call it the, the social detoxification from the dysfunction of our family history. Each of us. Each of us are to some degree part of a dysfunctional family. It's, 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 it's human to be dysfunctional, okay? Right, like some of our dysfunction makes the newspaper, but, but all of us to some degree behind closed doors are dysfunctional. And we have to detoxify ourselves from our own past of family dysfunction. And you think about your own life, the neglect, the abuse, even the entitlement of our own stories, it's still in our system, isn't it? Physiologically, all of that is still inside of you. Emotionally, psychologically, even spiritually, all of that dysfunction is still within us. There's a book called The Body Keeps the Score. Of course it does. I respect that. We all have to respect that. Some of you have lived through hell in your own homes. And we should never belittle that or ignore it. But as Paul taught us throughout the book of Ephesians, in Christ we must put on the new self after the likeness of God. You see that? We all come out of dysfunction, but we are called in Christ to put on the new self that is being created in the image of God. No matter what we've been through. You know, this is going to come across as a little harsh. I hope it doesn't. But having been raised in a dysfunctional family is no excuse for acting dysfunctionally now. We all have to grow. We all have to change. And you know what? Our children need to see us growing out of that. Our children need to see us changing and being formed in the image of God. That is partly how our children become wise, is they see parents who are humble and go, you know what, I'm a work in progress. I'm not there yet. There are inappropriate ways of airing your inner dirty laundry before your children, but in general, do your children know that you're a work in progress? I have to say to my own family that I am the chief confessor in my house. If I sin in the presence of my children, I have to ask them for forgiveness. I have to ask them to forgive me. Where else in this world are they ever going to see a leader admit that they are wrong and ask for forgiveness, if not in their own homes? Otherwise, the ancient proverb that says, a man of wrath stirs up strife and one given to anger causes much transgression, that proverb may come back to haunt our children and come down upon the next generation. If we don't take seriously being created after the image of God and detoxifying ourselves from our past dysfunction. 
So I want to encourage you to ask God to redeem your past family dysfunction in your current situation. I think this is going to help us. And I think it's important. I think you should write this down and remember it and incorporate it into your prayers. Ask God to redeem your past family dysfunction, not in the past, but in your present circumstance. Whether you're married or single or a grandparent or a child, whether you're divorced, whether, whether you're remarried and you're in a mixed family, whatever the situation may be, whatever your household looks like, whatever family relationships are intact in your life, ask God to redeem your past dysfunction in this present situation. Because often we get stuck because we want to fix the past and we can't fix the past. But we don't have to repeat it. You can't change what's already happened. And I'm so sorry that it has happened. But you do not have to repeat it. Households that flourish are like healthy churches that flourish. The group, the whole body remembers that we are in Christ. That may be the one thing that saves your family now, is remembering that the family is in Christ. As Paul keeps reminding us, in the Lord, obey your parents in the Lord. He says that they are not only in Ephesus in chapter 1, he says they are also in Christ. And that's what we have to remember. And that's what will give your household a chance to flourish where everyone remembers or is reminded that we are in Christ here. For children and for parents, God is our perfect model. And he's not only our perfect model, he's actually our salvation. He's actually our redemption. He's not just somebody that gave us a good example. He lived the good example. He completed it for those of us, all of us, who failed to complete that example. God the Son was our model. And what did Jesus do? As the old song says, he was a good boy. Jesus obeyed Mary and Joseph. It says he submitted to them in Luke chapter 1, verse 52. Jesus obeyed his earthly mom and dad, and he obeyed and loved his heavenly Father and only did what his Father told him to do and what his Father told him to say. So that the book of Hebrews chapter 5 could say that although Jesus was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So really, kids, honoring your parents is actually honoring Jesus as your Lord. Jesus, who was the one truly obedient child who suffered and died in the place of the rest of us rebellious prodigal kids. And God the Father is our salvation. He is our redemption. Jesus the Son is our model. And the Father is our redemption because he bore with an amazing amount of patience his own children's rebellion, right? The apostle Peter told us that the Lord is patient towards you. God is patient with us, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You see that? This is the type of parent that God is. His patience is motivated by love. It's so often our patience is calculated so that we can get back at one another, but God's patience is motivated by love for his children, and his discipline is motivated by love. 
Your patient's parents may be the first glimpse of grace that a child ever experiences in this world. So just as the Ephesians were both in Ephesus and in Christ, we are more than just firstborn children or middle children or adopted children or orphans. We are more than just divorcees or mixed families. We are also in Christ as parents and children and grandparents and cousins and brothers and sisters. We are in Christ as households. We are in Christ as members of God's family. What did the psalm say when we opened up the service today? That God puts the lonely in houses, right? He takes care of the orphans, the fatherless, and widows. God, there's enough room in God's household for all of us. And it's a place of grace. A family filled with grace is a home where everyone is given the opportunity to flourish. So ask God to redeem your past family dysfunction in your current situation. Whatever the situation is, there is an opportunity for you to remember that you are in Christ now. And the dysfunctions of the past do not have to repeat themselves upon your children and your grandchildren. There is a place to start now. There is a time for healing and we will never be perfect but we can grow and let's allow our children and grandchildren see us grow in grace and provide safe households where we can all grow in grace together where children flourish as they obey their parents where where parents nurture children in grace not after their own image but after Christ's image and where we all begin to detoxify from dysfunction by remembering that we are in Christ now. And what do we know about those who are in Christ's hand? Nobody can snatch them away. Let's pray. Father, it is so hard for us to obey our parents, and it is so hard for us even as adults to honor and respect our parents, especially when we are estranged or don't trust them or despise them. Help us to learn how to give honor and respect and obedience how it is appropriate. Thank you for our Lord Jesus who was a good boy. Thank you for our Lord Jesus who always did your will and by doing so saved us from eternal isolation, from eternal orphans. Lord, we also know it is really hard to parent in grace. It is so difficult to be patient. It is so easy to choose expedience and comfort and pleasure over wisdom. Father, help us to see our children as, as future, future bearers of the image of Christ. And help us to prepare them for that. Lord, we ask for a sanctified detox process. Lord, help us to deal with the pain in our past and not repeat it on our children. Thank you, thank you that you have provided a way forward by showing us what grace looks like, that we don't have to earn 
our favor with you. We don't have to earn our way. We don't have to earn our love with you. You've simply loved us. Father, may, may the young people in this church and in our homes know that they are loved. Amen.